electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Frank calling in for the judge, Scott Wapner. As Deirdre just mentioned, the S&P and the NASDAQ on track for a fourth week of gains. Their longest weekly win streak in nine months. Are investors getting more comfortable with the idea of peak inflation? Plus, Apple, less than 7% from new 52-week highs. And tech, seeing its biggest inflows in two months. What's next for this trade? We'll debate that and much, much more with our investment committee. Today we have, on this Friday, Bryn Talkington, Brenda Vangelo, Joe Terranova, and right here with me on set, Jim Labenthal. Let's get a check on the markets before we begin the conversation. The Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ all in the green. The Dow up more than 200 points right now. The S&P up almost 1%. The NASDAQ showing some leadership up over a percent. The Russell 2000 doing even better than that. The 10-year yield right now at 2.864. So right now we're starting this day with a lot of questions, guys. Um, a lot of data, a lot of things we can talk about. So as you mentioned, the S&P and NASDAQ on pace for their longest weekly win streak. CPI and PPI, both of them a lot better than expected. Um, perhaps bolstering that argument that we have reached peak inflation. We're going to talk about a lot that a lot this hour. Also, big cap tech showing renewed leadership. As we mentioned, Apple 7% from a new 52-week high. I want to throw one more thing on the pile here. Right now, we're about 10 points above a key technical level of 42.31. We had Jonathan Krinsky from BTIG on earlier this week. He said if we close above 42.31, that could be a level that shows there's a lot more room to move to the upside. So the question I have for you, Jim, are you finally a believer in this rally? Have you seen enough to believe yet? Am I finally a believer? That would imply, Frank, that I wasn't a believer. Well, but everybody's had some. Oh, I know. I know. Everybody's I'm, had a few. I, I like to tease a little bit. I am a believer. Um, first off, let's acknowledge the tone change in the markets, right? And let's put it this way. You were pointing out the fourth straight week of gains in the S&P 500. I'll point out that in the second quarter, you had exactly two weeks in which the S&P 500 was positive. So that meant you had 10 weeks in which you were going into the weekend feeling pretty ugly. Um, that is a distinct tone change. It should be respected. On the other hand, trees don't grow to the sky. Um, I understand the technical level that you're talking about. It's half of the retracement uh, from the downturn that we've seen uh, in the first half of the year. Maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. But regardless, I do think this is a full rally. The problem is you have to give some of this back. Trees don't grow to the sky. So it is likely that sometime between now and mid-September, you'll have a whoosh down five to seven percent. When it happens, people will be screaming that the sky is falling, running around with their hair on fire. That's not what it means, folks. What it means is that this whole year there has been a tug of war between positives and negatives. There are ample amounts of both. In the first half of the year, everything was focused on the negative. Now we've shifted to focus on the positive. But as we get into the seasonally difficult month of September, and it is seasonally difficult, people are going to focus on things like, hey, you know what? Inflation is coming down, but it's still got an eight handle. And hey, the Fed may be uh, easing on its on its pace of rate hikes, but they're still likely to raise another 100 basis points on top of the 225 basis points they've already raised. So expect September 
seasonally tough month for the focus to go back to the negatives. That's a temporary blip in what's an otherwise positive trend that needs to be respected. All right, Brent, I'm going to come over to you. We're going to get some of your moves later today, but we just kind of laid out a lot of data that would show that potentially we're going to move to the upside. Are you a believer now? We had you on earlier this week. You were a little bit cautious then. Right. I think I'm always a, a, a skeptic. If you're in this business long enough, I think you're always somewhat of a skeptic or a, a fully invested bear. But I think what Jim said is so spot on about a sentiment shift. I mean, when is an eight and a half percent CPI had the market rally? And so you just cannot fight with that that energy that the that the market is thinking this is peak inflation. But here's where I'll throw a little bit of cold water on that is number one, August, the trading's incredibly light. So a small amount of volume can move stocks quite a bit. And also, I think when it comes to inflation, the peak inflation, I don't think is the main question. What you really want to understand for a meaningful, longer duration rally is where do we settle? And what I'm still thinking about and where I still have skepticism is there's never been a time period when the Fed has stopped a tightening cycle when CPI was above Fed funds. So CPI is at eight and a half. Fed funds is at two and a half. So I think if we settle in, let's say at the end of the year, where CPI is around, let's say five and a half or six, so clearly going in the right direction, and, 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 and the Fed funds comes up to three, you can still drive a truck through the delta of that. And so maybe this is the first time they stop that tightening cycle when CPI is above Fed funds, but history will tell you otherwise. And so I definitely think we're not out of the, out of the clear right now. And so once again, we're invested, but just I think how you're invested is really important going through the rest of the year. Hey, Britton, before we let you go, we want to talk about a couple of your moves right now. I mean, we're getting this conversation going right now. You actually sold out of a small cap value ETF, SVAL. That's the ticker right there. In the meantime, the Russell 2000 has had a a great move, 20 percent up from its June 16th lows. Um, Why get out now? Yeah, so so we actually going back to December of 2020, when we reduced our exposure to ARC, we wanted to add a, por- a piece of the portfolio in ETF that would give us really close exposure and be highly correlated to the U.S. economy and expanding. And a lot of people think that's large cap value, but actually small cap value gives you really good exposure and high correlations to an expanding economy. And it's done great. I mean, for example, you know, in, in 2021, SVAL is up 33%, while the Russell 2000 was only up 14. So we love the ETF and love the strategy. But fast forward to today, where are we? We think we're later stage cycle. The Fed wants to slow growth. And so we think at being later stage, the reasons why we owned it no longer exist. And then what we replaced it with, with an ETF that really focuses on free cash flow yield, the symbol COWZ. It's a great strategy. It's more of an equal weight strategy across industries, and it focuses on these high-quality companies that have a free cash flow yield. Yeah, so it's the- just trying to position more to an evergreen strategy than a tactical strategy really focused on GDP expanding. Yeah, one of the best tickers I've ever seen, COWZ for cash cows. I want to go to one more of your moves. Uh, as we're seeing Amazon and Microsoft trying for a fourth straight positive week, Alphabet for a third straight positive week, you actually sold out of the QQQ. Right. So we're actually we we sold out, but we're still in because 
You know, the, the Luthold group actually had a really good piece about historically going back to the 20s, you need technology to be going at, with you for the S&P to make new highs. And so there's really good data there. That being said, tech has had a really strong rally off the bottom 20%. We still wanted to own it. But as I laid out before, I don't think we're out of the clear. So we sold the Qs, but then we doubled that position and went into JEPQ, which I've talked about before, which owns the NASDAQ 100, but they sell three to 5% out of the money calls. So I think as volatility stays elevated, we still have that exposure, but we're getting income. And so we're having that exposure in a more defensive way. Because I just don't think we're gonna have this V-shaped rally for the rest of the year in the, in the NASDAQ and the S&P. So, Joe, where are you at? I mean, nobody seems overwhelmingly, in, uh, I guess, impressed by the falling inflation, so a little cautious there. But consumer sentiment also came out pretty positive. Is that something that's kind of guiding the moves that you're making? So here's where we're at. It looks as though the S&P uh, has a date with the 200-day moving average, which is at 4326. Um, you look at where money is actually flowing right now. Let's review that. In terms of M&A, the month of August, already 12 days in, is the best month for M&A transaction that the market has had since November. Growth funds have seen in the past week their largest inflow since December. We saw equity funds with their largest inflow over the last eight weeks. Taxable fixed income has reversed 18 straight weeks of outflows with two consecutive weeks of inflow. So that's where the money has been flowing recently. Now let's look forward and see where the money could be going. What's interesting is I mentioned the 200-day moving average. There are a tremendous amount of rules-based, non-emotional, non-discretionary funds that follow the critical moving averages. And if we are to elevate above there, you're going to see them have to be buyers. They're not going to worry about what inflation is going to look like or what the Federal Reserve might do. In addition to that, those that follow momentum on both a six and a 12 month time frame, as you roll into September, Frank, if you've got the S&P pricing somewhere around 43, 4400, you're going to have a couple of hundred, a hundred billion dollars worth of fund buying that's going to come from those strategies. Again, it's all rules-based. So the quants, as we look forward into the fall, they could be the sponsorship for further buying. All right, Brent, I want to come over to you. Uh, Joe's kind of hitting on where the money's going. Speaking of where it's going, uh, according to B of A, largest inflow into tech in eight weeks last week. Also, five straight weeks of outflows from TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, largest streak since April of 2020. When you hear those numbers, what does that say to you? Well, it says to me, you know, we're in this environment where, A, we, we got finally got great news, uh, in my view, uh, with CPI numbers finally starting to come down a little bit. So many indicators previously had pointed to that, but we just weren't seeing it show up in the actual data. So it's here. So that makes sense that investors are then, you know, assuming we're at peak inflation, starting to 
to rotate out of some of that tips exposure. But I think when we think about technology, you know, somebody asked me recently, how do you position a portfolio for a low economic growth environment? And I said, the best place to look is probably what happened during the last economic cycle when technology was really the place to be. That's typically where investors gravitate towards companies that can grow even if the economy isn't growing very much. So I think that explains a lot of the technology flows that we've seen. Uh, but it but when we look at technology as a whole, you know, we have Apple and Microsoft, for example, that are really starting to hit the upper bounds of valuation. So I don't think the group as a whole um, is likely to drive the market materially higher from here. But I think we need broader participation. Um, but to Joe's point, if we do see money flowing into the S&P 500, you know, Apple and Microsoft are a pretty significant piece of that. So they will potentially just move upwards, even in the face of higher valuation. Yeah. So I think we could have some powerful moves if people really do start deploying cash back into the market. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a good, a good day for big tech today. All right, let's bring in our halftime headliner, Fundstrats Tom Lee. He joins us right now. Tom, thank you for being here. Great to see you, Frank, and everyone else. So, Tom, you have certainly been the bull on halftime. You've been the one tooting the horn that we're set up for a rally. Based on all the information that we have right now, do you still believe in that rally? I know, I, I know a silly question. I know you do. But do you still mm -hmm. believe in that rally? And what data can you point to people who are skeptics uh, that they should kind of look at to also jump on the train that you're on? Uh, well, foremost, uh, I know there was some talk about inflation. I think there's more good news in the pipeline on inflation. Just gasoline alone will probably subtract almost 80 basis points from CPI month over month in August. So it's a, it's a bigger improvement. But the, the story there is things like leading indicators, alternative data, commodity prices, even surveys show that underlying inflation and leading indicators are far lower than hard data like CPI. So I think it's July was a break in trend that's caught a lot of people flat footed. And then if that's true, it does set us up a lot like August 82, which is the stock market bottomed in August 82, almost 10 weeks before Paul Volcker abandoned the anti-inflation fight. And that entire stock market rally of four months erased a three-year bear market. I just think the key here is if investors are bearish and offsides and skeptical and think that the hard data is driving this, 82 tells us that we could have a very steep stock market move. Similar to what Joe was talking about, that you know, 4350 might be a magnet, but I think the all-time highs of this year will be realized before year end. Uh, Tom, by the way, your CNBC Pro Talk on CNBCPro.com, the highest rated ever, where you kind of break down your thesis for the second half rally. So speaking of it, uh, you actually believe the rally is strengthening with a focus on lower quality. Exactly what do you mean by that? Uh, well, it's something we highlighted to our clients today that uh, Mark Newton, our head of technical strategy, says one of the nice things developing this week is there's been a breadth expansion. More stocks are participating and adding to, you know, advancing. When, when you have a breadth expansion, investors are going to shift away from quality and sort of the big cap leaders uh, and move towards lower quality. So we're, we were highlighting some lower margin names, companies with higher debt to capital, highly more highly shorted but also technically attractive and we and we had six stocks and by the way frank great to hear about the cnbc pro you were excellent you're excellent uh joe i believe you have a question for tom i i do tom so i've been expecting a u-shaped recovery i thought this would be different than a lot of the corrections we've witnessed since the great financial crisis it sounds like you think this is going to be 
a V-shaped recovery. Yes. Speak a little bit about position and sentiment. And do you think that the market is prepared for that type of fast V-shaped recovery? Uh, Joe, it's a great question. I think the thing that's keeping a lot of fundamental investors sidelines is they think companies have to cut earnings. And therefore, they're, they're fighting this and, and really saying only technicals are driving the rally. But one thing we have to keep in mind is that post-pandemic, companies survived a depression with good margin expansion. Now they've survived six months of almost hyperinflation and negative GDP with double-digit earnings growth. These are fundamentally better businesses, and I think their multiples re-rating. So it's very similar to 82. But again, I think that that's what's going to drag investors in, because if we emerge from this, as, as we point out, CPI weakening, and then China starts to improve, and of course, you know, it's, it's kind of positive that Xi's leaving the country, we could see a fundamental tailwind develop along with cash flowing in, that would be a huge technical driver for all-time highs, and I think it could come very quickly. Brent, I believe you have a question as well. Yeah, hey, Tom. So, so here's what I'm thinking through, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts. So, you know, the Fed's balance sheet has actually increased, you know, a smidge since they started doing their small bits of, of quantitative tightening. It really starts in September in earnest when they're going to let $95 billion roll off per month. So what I'm thinking through is, number one, the Fed owns 30% of mortgages. So even remotely selling those into a rising rate environment, to me, is something to think through and that I don't feel great about. Second of all, QE has been so stimulative to juice the economy. How can QT, the reverse of that, not also put a pressure on equities? Yeah, it's a fair question. Uh, the Fed's going to double its QT, um, so it's about $600 billion annualized beginning in September. Uh, we have to keep in mind the actively managed credit universe is $50 trillion of actively managed money. And we know almost every bond manager and every Wall Street firm has sold a Delta One product to hedge against QT. So I think of that $600 billion annualized, market positioning has already sold off a lot of products in anticipation of that. So I think the flow effect is far lower. In fact, it's not that different. We've written about in the past, equivalent to one of the large bond managers re rebalancing. So I don't think it's as seismic as people expect. But you're absolutely right. QT means this, the companies have to produce earnings to justify multiples. But the thing to watch will be the tenure. Because if the tenure stays at 2.8, that's a 37 PE for a 10-year bond, which is guaranteed to lose money, whereas you can pay today 16 times for an equity that's growing earnings at 10%. Hey, Tom, it's Jimmy Labenthal. I'm going to jump in on what you and Bryn were just talking about, because uh, you're talking about flow of funds. And, you know, we talk about quantitative tightening as the removal of this incredible buying force, which it is. But nobody's talking about the fact that supply of treasuries in particular is going down. Um, you know, the budget deficit, it's still ugly, but I mean, there is dramatically less issuance from Treasury now than a year ago. Does that matter? Uh, that's a great point. You're, you're, you're spot on. In fact, J.P. Morgan annually does a great model that shows net supply, including corporate buyback and issuance in governments. And you're right. A big delta factor every year is how much financing the government needs to do. It will end up solving for where rates settle out. And again, if, if rates behave and even at 3233 that's a 33 pe for the bond market i just think the stock market at 16 times is still cheap 
All right, Tom Lee from Fundstrat. We appreciate the insight as always. And if people out there, you should definitely check out his CNBC Pro Talk on CNBCPro.com. All right, straight ahead, Apple and the tech rally, plus oil sliding today, energy the top sector this week, but the worst this month. Where does this group go from here? And the top picks from the committee, that's coming up next. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome back to Halftime. If you believe in Tom Lee's second half rally call, where do you want to be positioned? Mega cap tech stocks have seen a big rebound from the lows with Apple trying for its longest weekly win streak since July of last year. Brent, I'm going to start off with you. Where do you want to put your money at right now with the trends that we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, so I think I think within tech, just to sit on your, your, your comment for a second with, with Apple, you know, right now, Apple is a 7.3 percent weighting in the S&P. That makes Apple going back like 40 plus years the largest, you know, largest weighting of a single company in the S&P. So I think even with this tech sell off, Apple has just continued to get stronger. And so once again, we just sold the queues, but then double our weighting in the queues in a hedged way. So I still feel that the history of evidence tells you that the S&P cannot make a meaningful rally unless tech rallies. And so I think that that correlation is going to hold. I just don't think you're going to get the financials or any other sector that's big enough to actually move the S&P. So I think you still want to own technology. We just want to own it in a more defensive way. We can take advantage of volatility. Yeah, Bank of America out with a note on growth actually earlier today. Savita Subramaniam uh, saying that pull forward demand due to COVID, the supply chain disruptions and geopolitical risks may weigh on growth performance in the coming months. Um, Brenda, I want to come over to you. Are, are you agreeing with this take by Savita? Do you see things the same way? Yeah, I mean, our preference is really to have more exposure to companies that have more financial flexibility uh, within the space and that can manage even through um, a higher cost environment or through a potential slowing of end markets. So when we look at um, companies like in Amazon, for example, that's one of our favorites in the space. When we look at the, the flexibility that they have, um, especially given you know really years and years and years of reinvesting in the business, and now at a point where I think they've invested 
uh, plenty, uh, invested too much. So now we're on the other side of that, where we could see margin expansion, even in the face of some some rising costs. So that would be, you know, a preferred area for us. When we look at Apple and Microsoft, we do have exposure to those companies, but we are underweight relative to the S&P 500, uh, simply because the valuation now is is pretty stretched. You know, 28 times forward earnings. We still love both companies, but we just think that that's going to be a limiting factor to a certain extent. Jim, over to you. One of the big stories when it comes to tech and growth has been the 10-year yield. Um, Bank of America, I'm going to go back to that note by Savita, uh, coming out with a forecast of it at 2.75 at year end, right now at about 2.86. They believe it's going to stay range-bound throughout the rest of the year. Under that scenario, are you a believer in growth? Do you feel like you want to position yourself back to value? Well, I, honestly, I think you can do both, but I, I do, I do uh, fall out on the value side. And there's, there's a few reasons for it. One, if you look forward about the economic activity that I think is going to come from supply chain onshoring, you're going to have to finance that, so that's going to favor the banks. You're going to need the materials. You're going to need energy industrials. Um, there's nothing wrong with large-cap tech. I'm underweight large-cap tech, but I'm still invested in it. And the reason that I'm underweight is, is a couple of things. One, the multiple still, if you look at the XLK, is about 25 times. It doesn't mean it has to come down but I don't think it can go up. So the best you're going to get from share price uh, appreciation is earnings per share growth, which is going to be 8 to 12%. I think you can do better outside of tech. The other thing, though, Bryn and Brenda are talking about this, Frank, is that as the market recovers here, people go back to what they know, which is technology. They're comfortable. Hey, I buy Apple. I buy Amazon. How wrong could I be? Um, and the passive ETFs are heavily weighted in technology. Um, but that is, when you look at history, usually the sector that does the best in the preceding bull market is not the sector that does the best in the next bull market. It was true for technology after uh, 2000, 2001. It was true for financials after 08, 09. It's probably likely to be true now simply because of the differential between multiples on the XLK and, say, the XLE, which is around 10, or the XLF, which is also around 10. Joe, I want to come over to you. I want to give you actually some credit. I know you don't like to toot your own horn, but yesterday you actually pinged us when you were flagging that oil prices were going up off that IEA forecast, and at the same time we saw the NASDAQ take a move to the downside. Today we're seeing oil prices down 2%. They were up 2% yesterday, and NASDAQ popping and taking some leadership. So in your mind, is oil another factor when it comes to growth and, and, and big cap tech and things like that, or was that just a one-time occurrence yesterday? I think, Frank, as we move towards uh, the end of the year and into the winter with the concerns that we might have with Europe uh, regarding gas supplies, I think energy, oil and natural gas will be a leading indicator as to where the overall uh, equity markets will be pricing. And, and as you cited, we saw that yesterday. Oil rallied, natural gas rallied, equities came off. So um, I, I view the uh, overweight exposure to energy in the Joe T strategy and product as really a hedge, as really uh, some form of a, a risk mechanism about what could potentially go wrong with this recovery that we're witnessing right now. I think as it relates to technology, it's a disinflation story, and it's back to looking at technology and growth at more of a reasonable price. It's not hyper growth. It's quality growth. It's growth at a reasonable price. That's exactly what a name like Apple is delivering for you. And clearly, the recovery we've had since the beginning of July, the catalyst has been a lot of these mega cap technology names. 
Apple is basically down four or five percent for the year, and it looks like it wants to take out its high. So energy is going to be a leading indicator. Energy down. Technology is absolutely going to benefit. Energy prices begin to recover. Well, you know where the market's going to go. Uh, it's going to pull back in that setting. Yeah, Joe T ETF up more than half a percent right now. I'm going to toot your horn for you, Joe. <laughs> All right, still ahead, the energy trade in the top picks right now, plus transports on track for their third positive week in four and breaking above a key long-term level. Are more gains in, uh, in the future? Is it going to keep on trucking? Great question there. How's the committee playing the space? That's coming next on Halftime. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to half. Let's get to our Bertha Coombs with a market flash on Peloton. Hey, that's right, Frank. Uh, it's a tale of Peloton is actually going to be raising prices. It is also going to be laying off some 800 workers. That news being sent out in a memo this morning. Shares, as you can see, are up about 5.5%. The company also apparently is going to be uh, shutting down its showroom floors over the course of the next year as it tries to cut costs. It's also going to be uh, having other people do the delivery and the setup of the bikes. So big cost-cutting move there on Peloton. Frank? Thanks a lot, Bertha. Uh, Peloton shares actually moving to the upside on that. Uh, 4% higher when you first started talking, now up more about 5.5%. Jim, just really quick, big big Peloton guy. We were talking about during the break, but not a big Peloton guy. I'm a simple man, Frank. I, I think you know that. I think the viewers know that. I like to go for a run. I like to get outdoors and do things uh, in the ground. That's why they call me Farmer Jim. Uh, not a big Peloton fan. Yeah, uh, that work from home trade starting to unravel as we continue to kind of go past the pandemic. I guess we're still in it, but we're kind of moving past it, I suppose. I, I think I think many people like me and you and I were having this conversation wonder what the differentiating factor is with Peloton. Now, if you're a believer, please don't be throwing you know rotten tomatoes at the television. Wait to for the tweets. Their, to exactly it's right. a call. to each their own. But I, I you know for the classic value investor, you look at this and you say, what's the moat to competition? And I'm just not sure it's there. All right, Peloton shares up 6.5% now. All right, now to the energy trade. It's a tale of two time frames for energy. Recently, the sector is the top performer this week, but also the worst performing sector so far this month. This is natural gas continues to surge, pacing for its fifth positive week in the last six. Joe, you recently increased your energy exposure. We're just going to continue the chat we were having before the break. Yeah, so... Uh Introduced to Joe T, first of all, an MLP Enterprise Product Partners. And then the two refiners that we added, Phillips 66 and Valero, it's interesting. Uh, those are, are the first refiners that have been added. Personally, I own uh, Valero. Personally, I own EOG, Pioneer. Um, I think overall, when you're looking at energy, it's the one aspect of the cyclically sensitive area of the equity market that I don't think you could move away from. And I don't think you could move away from it just because the pure fundamentals when measuring supply versus demand, there's just too much potential risk if in fact you move into hurricane season and we have 
uh, an effect on gasoline supplies or natural gas supplies, or as we move into the fall, and we know that there's going to be uh, turmoil and tumult surrounding gas supplies into Europe. So uh, I don't see this as the one sector that you can move away from your overweight uh, allocation and, and think to be tactical. You know, we've got a lot of energy ownership here on the desk. I want to just point to a really quick to a Carter Worth tweet uh, back on May 31st. He was telling people to short the XLE, be long on the SPY. And then on Tuesday, he said 10 weeks later, we're thinking close the pair trade, take the money and run. The S&P 500 energy sector down almost 15 percent since May 31st. The S&P 500 index up fractionally. Brenda, I'm going to come over to you. Are you taking the money and run if you're looking at this trade? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea to to shift back into energy at this point if you have reduced exposure, because uh, as to Joe's point, I mean, this is the one group within the cyclical sector sectors where I think there is a real long term story here in terms of supply demand imbalances that are here to stay. Um, and so it's been an unloved group for a long time. Uh, this year, it was such a tremendous performer early on. I'm not surprised to see a little bit of a pullback as oil prices came down a little bit. But even with oil prices where they're at today, or even if they got down to $80 a barrel, and these companies are still incredibly profitable. Um, and so I think um, even to uh, Jim's earlier point about market leadership changing, I mean, I think we could be in for a period where energy is a market leader again uh, for a period of time, uh, just based on this solid fundamental story that's playing out. Well, Brian, you got a, quite a bit of energy ownership. You got Devon Energy, also Energy Transfer, a few other names. Are you bullish on energy right now? Yeah, and it's also in my backyard. So everyone I know is in energy. And so, I mean, if, if you talk about like how we allocated into that ETF cows, you know, talk about free cash flow yields with company like Devon, Conoco, Exxon. And so I think investors are going to continue to come back to this space. I think the, the fiscal discipline has been really strong and people are, are feeling they won't get burned like they had you know, previously when the energy companies have spent a lot of money. But I will say this, I think it's hard to be really bullish on energy and think energy prices are going to go higher and these companies are really going to run. And then also think their tech and the S&P are going to race back to their all-time high. Because I think, you know, Joe said it earlier, he, I thought he was so spot on. He's like, energy's down and tech is up. And so I think while inflation is really high, as a trader, I think you have to be cautious there because I don't think you're going to get a meaningful move in tech, the S&P, and energy at the same time. Because energy, to me, is the biggest wild card because of what we have in the back half of the year between winter, December 5th, and the Russians. So, so we love the space long term, but I think it really is going to struggle with the market and kind of be a hedge or a contra indicator to what tech and the S&P do. All right, oil down about one and a half, two percent right now, but still on pace for a weekly game. Up next, the crypto comeback. Bitcoin and Ether on pace for their best week since mid-July. Have they finally found their footing? Halftime, back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Half. I'm Bertha Coombs. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Salman Rushdie, the author whose writing led to death threats from Iran in the 1980s, was apparently stabbed in the neck today as he was about to give a lecture in western New York. State police say a man rushed onto the stage at the Chautauqua Institution and attacked the author as he was being introduced. They say Rushdie has been taken by helicopter to a local hospital and his condition is not yet known. The suspect was arrested at 
the scene. A New York judge ordering former President Trump's longtime finance chief to stand trial in the fall on tax fraud charges involving alleged off-the-books compensation. And Johnson & Johnson is pulling its baby powder containing talc worldwide next year and replacing it with a powder made with cornstarch. The talc powder hasn't been sold in the U.S. or Canada since 2020 amid thousands of lawsuits alleging it caused cancer. J&J maintains that medical research shows that the talc powder is safe. Back over to you, Frank. Thanks a lot, Bertha. Our Bertha Coombs with the news update. Thank you. All right, turning our attention to cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin on pace for its best week since July of 29th. Also, Ether up about 90% since mid-June, uh, mid I should say. Bryn, you own Bitcoin. Are you still a crypto believer after we just had like crypto winner or crypto polar vortex, whatever that we just experienced? Crypto-geddon, right? And so, <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I think in all honesty, there's still an incredible hangover from the nonsense that happened in May, May, May to June, right? And so, I mean, you've seen since the middle of June, Coinbase has doubled to your point about Ether and, 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 and GBTC, they've done well. I think that in the short term, you could still see those three move along with the high growth names. As long as yields stay low, those high growth names continue to move. And I think crypto moves with it. I do think because of the, the, all the nonsense that happened a couple of months ago, I think until to get a meaningful rally, we're really going to have to have uh, some more regulatory framework around who, whether the CFTC or um, the SEC is, is who's overseeing who, because clearly what we saw in May and May through June, we definitely need some, a regulatory framework. So it's nice that BlackRock's getting into it. I think you'll still get some anecdotes, but longer term, that regulatory framework, I think, will be needed to go meaningfully higher. All right, turn our attention over to the transports. One of the outperformers this week, the group up almost 20% from their June lows and breaking above their 200-day moving average on an intraday basis. we got quite a bit of ownership here on the desk. Jim, I'm going to start with you. What's your take on transports right now? We were talking about a freight recession a little bit earlier this year, and now it doesn't seem to be a concern that anybody's having. Well, I think it's a referendum on the, the idea of a big recession, not just a freight recession, but a real economic recession. And first half of this year, particularly second quarter, uh, the drumbeats of, of a recession really started to pound louder. And so that's why transports didn't do so well. Now we're looking at less fears of a recession. They're not totally gone. And I believe it's not going to be a recession, but a, a growth slowdown that leads into good economic expansion in 2023. That being my thesis, of course, I want to own something like Union Pacific. We're going to need to move materials around. I want to own Alaska Airlines or Delta Airlines because people are going to be moving as economic activity picks up. And then probably my highest beta play within the transport is, is Greenbrier, a rail car manufacturer. I mean, this thing has the highest beta uh, within the transports, in my opinion, as far as uh, the beta economic activity. But bottom line, Frank, this is a referendum on whether there's a recession or not. Right now, the worries about a recession are abating. Joe, you got quite a few transports names in the Joe T ETF. Yeah, Expeditors International, Old Dominion, J.B. Hunt, and, and UPS. Jimmy's right. Um, you know, this is a story about the logistics. And if you think about fuel costs, they've obviously moderated here to the benefit of these companies over the last several weeks. So that's where my area of focus would be on logistics. And there's been a nice turnaround in UPS itself. All right. Mike Santoli's Midday Word. That's coming up next. Halftime. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to halftime. Markets set to end the week higher again in the S&P above a key technical level. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us live from the NYSE with his midday word. Hey, Mike. 
Yeah, Frank, I mean, the market this week has uh, sort of answered a few of the bearish arguments out there and has gone a pretty long way toward arguably re-earning the, the, uh, the benefit of the doubt here. You mentioned that technical level, so we're about 20 S&P points in front of that threshold, which means that the market has regained more than half of its uh, losses during that bear phase. Now, historically, it says that means the low is in. It doesn't necessarily mean you launch higher from here. If I could project ahead, though, what remains among the skeptics as an argument for why the market may have come too far? Well, volumes certainly are light. It is August. Uh, that being said, volumes are always lighter on rallies than on sell-offs. There has been a lot of short covering. There's no doubt about it. Heavily shorted stocks up 30 or 40 percent in a month. But also, that is something that accompanies a strong rally off of a low. It's not necessarily an indictment of that. You do still have the market's 200-day average above a 2 or 3% above current levels on the S&P, and that average is still declining. So by some definitions, we're still certainly in a downtrend. So still more to do. The valuation of the market has really rebuilt. We never got super cheap based on earnings. Uh, long term, that's uh, perhaps going to limit returns. But in the shorter term, it seems to me that investors just want to see that the earnings are going to be relatively plausible this year into next, as opposed to uh, necessarily paying uh, for bargains uh, in, in the short term. Mike Santoli with his midday word. Thank you, Mike. Coming right, up, thanks. a big week ahead for retail earnings, including two Dow stocks, Home Depot and Walmart, trades from the committee. That's coming up next on Halftime. All right, welcome back to Half. A very busy week of retail earnings on deck. We'll get results from names like Walmart, Home Depot, Target, Kohl's, and Foot Locker. And just breaking this hour, Best Buy cutting hundreds of store jobs. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Brenda, I'm going to come to you. What do you expect from the retail space this quarter? Well, I think it's going to be a bit of a mixed bag uh, because we've seen clear and ongoing evidence that the consumer has changed their spending patterns towards more services, really loaded up on tons of goods over the last several years, and so are, are not in need of a lot of those. But I think those those retailers that are well positioned for a back to school start and things that necessitate purchases, I think will likely fare better. I also think if we look at off price retailers like TGX, which we own, you know, they're really well positioned for an environment like this where there's excess inventory everywhere and they really benefit from being able to buy high quality inventory and providing that to their customers. So I, I do expect to be a mixed bag, but probably more of what we've already heard from many of the retailers that have you know, experience to slow down in a shift in spending patterns in their business. Jerry, I'm going to come over to you. I don't know if you have any retail names in the JOT ETF, but uh, Brenda's right. E-commerce spending on, on shopping, it has moderated a bit, but it's really still up if you compare it to pre-pandemic. Looking at some data from MasterCard, they have a spending pulse they put out every year. E-commerce almost double what it was pre-pandemic. Um, retail sales minus cars and gas still up 9%, excuse me, 20%. When you compare it to pre-pandemic, do you think everybody already bought what they need or is there more are there more sales for retailers to capture out there? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes the right answer has to be uh, I'm just not sure. And I don't think we know the answer because there is a lag effect uh, given the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates. What's going to be the impact on the consumer as we move through the back to school season and begin to think, candidly about the holiday shopping season as well. So I think we're going to have to kind of learn that uh, it, certainly in the coming quarter and in future quarters uh, from a position standpoint. I don't have very much conviction in the retailers uh, to own any of them right now. 
Jim, over to you. I mean, if you own some transports, it's kind of like a proxy for confidence in retail because a lot of that, that's what they're moving around the country a lot of times. Yeah, you're right. But my confidence in railroads, just to be specific, is more on the aggregates, you know, the, the concrete, the lumber, the, the uh, iron ore that needs to be transported. Look, I think the, there will be eventually a relief rally uh, and maybe it's next week in retail. But retail obviously has some challenges in the short term. Uh, those challenges are short term. I think we'll be fine next year but I'm just I'm in no mood to rush in right now. I hope we do get a relief rally, but I'll watch it from the sidelines. Yeah, something to watch, certainly. I mean, when you have stores like Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, those are certainly bellwethers of the entire economy, Jim. Um, when they're not doing as well, obviously some insight into the consumer. Yes, but look, it's a little bit of a mixed bag for the consumer because I think what we're seeing here is this long-talked-about goods-to-services transition. Certainly, Walmart's pre-announcement a couple of weeks ago did not sound good for the consumer. But if you listen to the casinos, I listened to Wynn Resort's uh, earnings call uh, earlier this week or any of the airlines' calls, you know, people are getting out and doing things, and that's what's going on. It's a goods-to-services transition for the consumer. Well, Brent, I know you don't have any exposure to the retail trade, so what does that say about your sentiment when it comes to retail? Well, I think that, you know, I think Josh was talking about this the other day. First of all, the consumer is so, so heterogeneous. It's like to, to, to put them all in one together, I think, is, I think is flawed. But what I do think is like back to school, between back to school, and do you see how many credit card applications, you know, have gone through nationally, which is like a record number? I think back to school shopping going forward is going to be really strong. But I don't think any of that's going to, they won't be in these numbers now. So I think a Target and a Walmart get more interesting once again, going forward. And there's been so much pessimism because they whiffed obviously both Walmart and Target. So I've been watching them. I'm not in a hurry. I'll take what the, the earnings reports say and maybe take a position, you know, going into the back half of the year if the economy is just slowing and not seemingly going into a recession. Yeah, right now retail up 1%, but actually great point of it. The Josh Brown highlighted, I believe it was yesterday about the K-shaped recovery where higher end consumers are have the ability to spend while lower end consumers are really feeling the pressure of inflation and gas. All right, halftime, final trades coming up next. Stay with us. All right, time now for final trades. Brenda, kick it off. I'm going to go with Disney. Just reported a great quarter, better than expected. Uh, Disney Plus subs, parks are doing well. Really think this company is well positioned over the long term, and it's been a laggard for the last couple of years. So I think there's a great opportunity here. Bryn. Uh, Freeport, FCS. Maybe early on this, but I think for the next three to six months, um, Xi Jinping in China is set for the biggest election to be dictator for life. I suspect that the economic. Right. Got some technical difficulties, Bryn, but we, we get the idea. FCS is, is your pick. Uh, Joe, over to you. So for those that don't believe in technicals, take a look at the chart of Chipotle. I am long it. It broke out clean above the 200-day moving average, and it's off to the races. All right, Jim, you got the final word. I got a twofer here because I almost did Disney, but uh, uh, Brenda took that for me. That was very nice. But I'm going to go with Citigroup, um, 4% dividend yield, single multiple. Uh, and you know what? At some point, those buybacks are going to begin again. All right, that does it for, the, for halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, 
the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.